2: all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 20% off, go to squarespace.com and use our offer code SMART9.
2: What's up everybody? This is the podcast of smart people, smart people podcast. This is Chris. This is the Rojas of John, John Rojas. <laughs> hey guys, uh, really interesting show for you today. We are interviewing Christopher Schroeder and yes, he's an entrepreneur. So everybody's thinking, man, you guys been doing a lot of business podcasts, but we're talking about entrepreneurialism around the globe, specifically in the Middle East which, as you all know, is in a time of turmoil right now. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And so it's really interesting to hear about what they're also doing with technology and businesses. We kind of get in this Western bubble, and there's some great stuff going on over there. So interested to talk with Christopher today. Before we get into the interview, though, Have you guys head over to
0: smartpeoplepodcast.com slash survey and filled out our listener feedback survey? Please head over there. Please fill it out. Help the show become a better show. We're just looking for input on how we can improve the show, things we can do. One of the things people have been saying, shorten the intro. We've done that. We're trying to keep it at around two minutes now. But here's another cool thing. We're picking random people to win $20 Amazon gift cards. So you spend five minutes giving us some feedback, you might get 20 bucks. Yeah. And we
2: have a boatload of them. So we're trying to give them out. We're going to give out one, an episode going forward as soon as we get some good comments in there. So as John mentioned, smartpeoplepodcast.com slash survey. And we really appreciate you taking a brief 10 question, I believe it is 10 question survey. Yep. So we're going to talk to Christopher Schroeder about his newest book, Startup Rising, The Entrepreneurial Revolution Remaking the Middle East. Christopher Schroeder is an American entrepreneur, advisor, and investor in interactive technologies and social communications. He's started a bunch of companies, one of them being Health Central, which is a really cool health and wellness site. You guys should definitely check it out. We're just going to turn it over to Christopher and let him explain all of the great stuff that he has learned and put into his book. Hope you enjoy. Christopher, I was kind of hoping you could just give us and our listeners a little bit of background as to what you've done in the past and what you're up to these days.
1: You know, I've been an internet entrepreneur, really an intrapreneur for over a decade now. Most recently co-founded a company called healthcentral.com which was a big content and social platform in online health backed by guys like Polaris Ventures and Sequoia out on the west coast and you know I've just always been incredibly passionate about how content and the way people connect with each other uh, you can really make impact and I think really there's a cliche word that's put around a lot called empowerment but I think the essence of empowerment is that when you see that other people do things that you do and are feeling things that you're feeling and that show you that if they do things you can do things too it's just incredibly profound and so I saw that a great deal in, in Health Central where people who were dealing with illness or even wellness and getting healthy just, just got totally inspired by each other in the way they were doing things and before that I was an entrepreneur at Washington Post Newsweek Interactive and even then watching people have at their fingertips unbelievable amounts of information whereby they really could aggregate their own truth right it wasn't just about coming to WashingtonPost.com, but bringing insights from elsewhere to a place like WashingtonPost.com, which is very, very powerful to me. I ran another internet company before that and, and previously spent some time in finance and investments, uh, both in the private equity, venture capital side, and also uh, some investment banking. As a non sequitur, I actually served many years ago as a kid for James Baker in the State Department. And a lot of people don't believe me when I say this, but in some respects, that experience shaped me for the internet more than anything not because of the technology which was like nineteen eighties vintage terribleness and certainly not for the government bureaucracy (laughs) but because the years i was there almost everything i thought would last for decades turned on its ear so i was a young kid when um, you know the berlin wall fell soviet union imploded nelson mandela was released and so on and it just was a a total wake-up call that life will move in very unexpected ways and life was going to change in very big ways.
2: That's great. And I appreciate that background. And you know, what I want to ask you was, how did you make that transition into, I like the term entrepreneur also. We've been talking to a lot of people recently who have made their money on the internet and things. So I like that. I'm going to use that. But how did you make that transition?
1: From entrepreneur to entrepreneur? I've done done a lot of uh, transitions.
2: Well, more so from, John and I kind of grew up, the internet was there, not immediately, but fairly early on. So for someone seeing it evolve and saying, I want to get involved in the internet business world, how did that happen?
1: You know, I think I'm just a very curious guy and I've always been, throughout my life, been thinking a lot about, you know, where things are going and how human behaviors change when there are great inflections in the world. I mean, just been a natural part of my curiosity. And I can remember seeing the internet for the first time not long after I, I was in government Early earliest days of like pre-CompuServe, right? I mean like AOL in the early days, and all of a sudden you stopped and thought to yourself that, my lord, we're about to have access to essentially all of the world's knowledge at our fingertips for pretty close to free. And you look at that and you realize that, you know, technology is obviously the driver of it, and I'm fascinated and I love technology, but it was transcendental technology. This is about human behavior. This is about taking things people probably inherently have wanted to do forever and now they're going to have their ability to do it. And so it wasn't a hard transition at all to think I've got to understand this better.
2: And then Health Central, I mean, that's such a great idea. And I guess I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that, how that came to be, and how you really discovered that need.
1: You know, part of it was from personal experience. And, and part of it was just, again, was seeing how things were changing in the way people were gathering and sharing information, right? So actually, you know, in the relatively early days of the Internet, you know around 2000 and in that kind of a period you know i had two two major issues that happened i had uh my mother-in-law who was just a wonderful woman who uh, we adored was diagnosed with a cancer which was clearly going to um, be terminal and around the same time one of my best friends lost his battle to bipolar disorder and even then when there was pretty much only webmd and it was probably in its early days i found a whole slew of listservs and really intimate communities of people who are going through things in um, mental illness and mood disorder and who are going through this very very specific cancer and it's not unlike what I said before I was just blown away that you could find people who are going through really what you were going through and secondly fairly anonymously more than happy to share the most intimate details to help you get through it and then there I knew something was going to be very profound the world would change with this kind of capacity the second thing was when I was at Washington Post Newsweek Interactive, it just became clear from human behavior, which we now take for granted, but it wasn't that obvious then, which is people what they want what they want when and how they want it on their very specific terms. And so we discovered in the early days of the online news world that nobody was coming to the home page, right? In the old world, you always talked about 30-minute news broadcasts, or you talk about the front page of a newspaper but everyone was going to what they wanted 85% of our traffic was going to a particular article they wanted so i thought to myself that the internet is going to open up and particularly the search was opening up with people finding what they want on their terms and that meant content but it also meant people like them and so the combination of behaviors and then the early days of social networks it made it very very clear to me that we could do something that could really affect people's lives and build a great enterprise
2: and just for those that aren't aware could you give a quick summary of what healthcentral.com is.
1: So healthcentral.com is, is really a, a large social and content platform uh that is it, it allows you to dig very, very deeply into um, very specific areas of, of areas of disease and wellness based on your terms. We built uh in fact acquired in part a technology that allowed people to use words in their own language to describe symptoms they were having or particular needs that they have and find very specific content or people that are going through some of the same things that could build further connections and take better control of their health and wellness.
2: What exactly do you mean when you say in their own language? It's a shift between what we used to call the short
1: tail of search to now we all know because it, it didn't, wasn't obvious five years ago but it's obvious now the power of the long tail which is that people will specify what they want. No, nobody really. First of all nobody searches health very few people now even search things like diabetes but what they will do is they'll write multiple words describing you know the aspect of diabetes that they're looking for and uh. they're therefore asking a very specific question not something generic and generic isn't what's helpful to them and the ability to make a connection of understanding what they may want to in fact the most relevant content or or people is very powerful so i'll give you a quick silly example at one point when we were building out some of our technology our servers got pounded by people who were searching some combination of jumping on trampolines and um, and running, and I thought honestly that we had a mistake. It just didn't make any sense to me. What could that possibly be? But of course, when we dug into it, we discovered if you're talking about jogging and training on a trampoline, you're actually talking about joint pain. You may never use the word. You may never use the word osteo. You know, arthritis, but that's what you're talking about. And so to really just get an understanding of how people use words to express very specific needs. Unleashes incredible potential to give them something worthwhile in
2: their lives. That's really interesting. Now, you know, the main thing that sparked my interest in what you were doing is your newest book, Startup Rising The Entrepreneurial Revolution, Remaking the Middle East. Before we get into that, though, was this again just a transition from connecting people via the internet, or how did this come to be?
1: So there's a, it's interesting, a lot of people have. Talked about my writing this book. We sold Health Central about a year, year and a half ago. And uh, a lot of people said, well, this is Chris's pivot, or he's taking a year off to do something different. And it always surprises me when people say that, because in the end, uh, my experience with startups in emerging markets, which I've had it kind of in the background, uh, is in total light with the themes I've been talking about in this interview up until now, which is when people have access to technology and they find people like them and they've got inexpensive ability to take control of their own issues and build and innovate things incredibly powerful things happen so I saw that in the news world I saw it very much in the health world and through a series of really interesting coincidences I began to see it happening not only around emerging markets where I outsource technology like in Argentina and and Eastern Europe and all but in in what seemed to me at the time very improbable places which was you know Mubarak's Egypt and the pre-Arab uprising Middle East and in hindsight it shouldn't have been surprising at all because anywhere anyone has got access to broadband and ability to have access to all this knowledge and to other people amazing things happen. But I think my narrative was so stuck at one view of that region that I really didn't quite grasp it until I started to visit it and it completely changed my outlook not only about the Middle East but about the world generally.
2: That's exactly what I wanted to ask you was I tend to think of America, you know, the pursuit of happiness. I read a stat, 48% of people want to own their own business. And I wonder if in other places, maybe the Middle East or possibly areas that are more repressed or the, the government kind of stifles innovation, do you find that people still have that entrepreneurial spirit and want to do their own thing? Or is it something that has to be nurtured from a civilization or a societal standpoint? I think it's
1: an incredibly powerful question, but what I could tell you is that people want their voice, right? They want to have a great life for themselves. They want to have a political voice. They want to have a cultural voice, and they want the best possible things for their friends and families. And if they're great idea thinkers, they want to actualize the ideas. If you've been in an environment where you were trained to believe that there was only limitations on your future or that you lived in a place where leadership effectively you know, allocated a certain percent small percentage of people an opportunity to succeed where everyone else did not um, you know there's no question that that had an impact on a lot of cultures around the world but I think the big story of our time over the last decade or more and is gonna be a much bigger story in fact move much faster going forward is not only the rise of middle class which is happening across emerging growth markets but I think because of technology because a new generation is looking around and sees a of the way the rest of the world does things a new generation talks to each other all the time, connects with each other all the time, has incredibly affordable tools to either either organize politically or to build a great business. Just changes the dynamic in an amazing bottom-up way. So the ecosystems are a challenge, right? I mean, there're educational infrastructure issues in a lot of parts of emerging growth markets. There's uh, political corruption. In the case of the Middle East, obviously, there's there's some real instability now. And yet, despite this, as we've seen over the last fifteen or twenty years. And I think we're going to see much, much more of in the next 10 or 20 years. Uh, technology and this, these desires can, cannot be squashed.
0: Now, you mentioned that it completely changed your opinion of the Middle East. Can you give us a couple of examples of what you saw that just completely turned yourself on your face where you're like, wow, I didn't realize this?
1: So I was invited, and this is where the story begins in a lot of respects, from mutual friends of mine who had, who had created one of the, not the first, but one of the earlier Large gathering of tech startups in the Arab world. It was called Celebration of Entrepreneurship, and it was in the fall of 2010. And they asked me to come and to speak. And there were other people from international community, and I thought that would be great. And I respected them and was curious to see what was going on. I was utterly unprepared to see what I saw. I mean, it was 2,400 young people from North Africa to Yemen. Nobody wanted to talk about politics. Nobody cared about President Obama's speeches. They just wanted to build stuff and a lot of the stuff they were building was awesome, you know, like any startup gathering some of it was less awesome but a lot of it was uh, unbelievable. Uh, easily a third of the participants were women some of them were covered, some of them were not, didn't matter they just wanted to build stuff and I was so floored just by seeing this that I extended my trip and went to uh, Amman and a couple of other places and just saw it over and over and over again and, and just to think about something happening so below the radar of anything we heard about in the West in it of of itself was you know unbelievable to me and as I returned back a little bit particularly after we sold the company and I decided I really wanted to I got invited a lot back to be a mentor or to uh, judge startup competitions that kind of stuff you know I just saw these different companies that were solving very very local and regional challenges I saw people that were psyched to do that I saw people who were building companies that had succeeded in English in the West and they're now building you know, great platforms to do the same thing in Arabic, which is a you know over 350 million people. Uh, and then there are all these young people who are building companies that are global right now. I just wrote an article today in Fast Company, and she appears in my book. Uh, this wonderful college swimmer from American University of Beirut who developed a uh, training goggle that's a lot like Google Glass when you use them, so you don't have to look at your wrist. But as you're you know training, you can look at your vital signs while it goes on. It's just beautiful. She's having it manufactured in Asia. It's going to come to the United States this fall. Um, And she's a startup in Beirut who has an instantly global idea. So you see this whole spectrum over and over again. Um, And even with the uncertainty that exists, it is very hopeful.
0: That's amazing. And, you know, one of the things that I did want to ask you was what types of startups? And you started going into that because one of the things that I think would happen is, you know, startups that focus on, payments and micropayments and banking those type of things where that industry doesn't really ex- I mean are these are these existing industries that they're that they're kind of flipping upside down or are these industries that exist in the west and they're trying to fill that gap that's not there presently So it's
1: it's an incredibly powerful and exactly right question because um, there is a, so for example the the Yahoo of the Middle East was a company called Mach2, which in fact Yahoo bought for almost two hundred million dollars uh, a few years ago. Wow. Um, Souq.com, Marka VIP, or two e-commerce companies, um, which would remind you a great deal of Amazon.com, again targeted for the region, and and their gaming companies and lots of things that would be fairly familiar to you. The health, the health central of the Middle East, there are a bunch of health platforms and all that would be familiar to you. But you're asking to me what is one of the more interesting questions about emerging growth markets generally. Which is and Middle East in particular, which is there, you know, there's certain things in their experience, which make them uniquely positioned to work around problems to solve them at scale. So, for example, you know, most of these countries have almost 100% mobile penetration. Most of them will have 50% smartphone penetration in the next three to four years. And by the way, in, in the Gulf, um, uh, the Emirates is now I think the largest uh, smartphone penetration region in the world. So it's all happening. And this is, this is a region that never really knew landlines. So you've got people building and doing really creative things with apps, mobile-first stuff. Uh, with all the e-commerce that's coming, there's still a lot of concern about credit card security online. Mm-hmm. There's not a great tradition of that yet. There's tremendous amount of delivery by Cash on Delivery, COD, which, again, they've also built all sorts of payment systems to facilitate that. But what I am seeing are just some amazing mobile payment. Companies because they know it's going to come, right and that's the way people are using things. And of course, they're not alone. I mean, people—you probably know this, but a lot of people don't know. I mean, the largest mobile payment country on the planet is Kenya. Twenty percent of the entire GDP goes through something called M-Pesa, which is mostly a texting service because it is utterly underbanked. And the only way ten years ago to move cash from one place to five hundred miles away was to physically go there. <laughs> so they they solved it with mobile basic mobile phones well what's happening there will happen elsewhere in Africa and I could just tell you there are lots of exciting things brewing like that in the
2: Middle East this episodes brought to you by Squarespace we've said it before and we'll say it again if you want to easily create an amazing website you've got to use Squarespace the website platform that can simply do it all you want
0: drag-and-drop features they've got it integrated SEO yep got that too you don't know what SEO is Don't worry, they take care of it for you. I know what you're thinking, there's no way they have responsive design. Wrong. They have that, and they'll make sure that your site looks beautiful on any device.
2: Not everyone is a web wizard like my co-host over here, but no need to worry. Squarespace levels the playing field so that anyone can have their own amazing website. The best part is, it's only 8 bucks a month, and that includes a domain name if you sign up for one year. Head on over to Squarespace.com and use our offer code SMART9 to get 10% off of your purchase while also supporting the show.
0: Hey, guys, it's actually 20% during the month of September. What do you think this means for the region? I mean, you've got young people who are starting these companies and coming up with amazing products, and that's including, you know, young girls, women. W- what do you think this all means for that region?
1: Look, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting thing. With a caution, right? It, it's an exciting thing to me that there is what they keep calling it over there—the youth, youth bulge. But you know, very large chunks of the population in in most Middle East countries, Arab countries, um, you know, are under 25. And so, at one level, I'd rather have that opportunity than say Japan, which has a rapidly aging population with the challenges that come with that. Mm-hmm. But the caution is that the education infrastructure in many of these countries has not been good. The job prospects has not been good. Um, despite all that I've talked about here that is hopeful, the harsh realities that have been in Egypt in the last few months and, and just tragically, scarily tragically in Syria have huge ramifications, not only in those countries and elsewhere, but they, these are all huge challenges on this great new generation that's trying to, to come into the 21st century. So what I would tell you is that the jury is not out. Uh, But I can't tell you what's going to happen six months from now. But I will tell you that five years from now, large chunks of populations there are going to have access to smartphones, which means they have access to supercomputers on their person. There'll be more technology, not less, meaning more demands for transparency, not less, more opportunities to solve problems, not less. And it may be very bumpy and very painful to get there. And I think these societies will be making choices about the 20th century versus the 21st century. But net net, I believe this new generation is trying to redefine their societies. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing to watch, which very few people in the West, particularly this, are spending any time thinking about.
2: To kind of play off that, I want to ask you, what have you found most surprising or most shocking that most Westerners would be unaware of?
1: I think that the whole story that I'm telling you is that (laughs) way. I I could tell you I'm, I'm thrilled that you were willing to let me you know, speak to you today. And, and I've gotten some very interesting and wonderful coverage from some major news outlets over the last couple of weeks with a book coming out. But I can't tell you the number of uh, folks who have said, oh, come on, there's no way this is real or come on, we're about to bomb Syria. Why should I talk about anything other than that? Mm-hmm. So I think there is such a deep narrative where we think of the Middle East, first of all, as only one monolithic thing, You know, what's going on in Dubai is obviously different than what's going on in Damascus, but I don't think we tend to look at the world that way. We've been very formed by September 11th for very obvious reasons, but at the same time, we've not opened up the possibility that the next 10 years could be different than the last 10 years because of some of the very things that we know day to day has changed our society, often in very powerful ways. So I think that just in and of itself has been very surprising. You know, I'll, I'll play... They're not games, but I'll, I'll play with people and said, you know, that Saudi Arabia is a number one per capita user of YouTube, and most people don't know that. They don't know that that the largest plurality of people in Saudi Arabia watching videos are women, and that a lot of the video that they're watching, in fact, is education to teach themselves. All this, I think, is is kind of surprising to too many people here. And the role of women in this has been—I have to tell you—I mean, there are different studies that have said, and uh, you can never tell how good the numbers are this early in the ecosystem. But there have been studies that have said that as many as 35 percent of entrepreneurs in the Middle East are women. I can only tell you that from all the events that I went to, that number holds up. And there's no question that shocks a lot of people in the West as well.
0: Oh, it's it's absolutely shocking, and I love the fact that they're using YouTube to learn. And you know, one of the things that they are learning, especially you know in the Middle East and Asia and that area, is learning how to program and code and do all that type of stuff. And, and eventually, at some point, they're going to have, I mean, they pretty much already do have an advantage over our kids in America because we have neglected teaching that here. And I'm already starting to see, you know, the shift to those type of jobs going to people over there and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting to see, especially with young girls learning from YouTube and other websites that are out there.
1: So the conventional wisdom, you know, is that there's not as great Stanford or MIT of the Middle East. Though obviously in the in the Emirates in particular, there's been great investments to try to make that in the future, and and those those educational institutions have absolutely been essential to ecosystems in the United States. Um, What I've been so in awe of is is the self-taught version of this. But my friends who even hold hackathons and and programming training in the region will say to me, "Yeah, Chris, it is pretty awesome, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be yet." And so they know that they still got an uphill battle there uh... but they're going at it. the people thinking about it not just in the traditional sense uh... but in the kinds of online things that you articulated which are absolutely happening there like academies in arabic and that kind of thing which i think is going to be very powerful over time going forward i will just add that that uh... there's no question that the engineering prowess around the world we see is very powerful and i think that there are things that we in this country have to watch very carefully But I had um, an amazing young man who stayed with my family for a couple of weeks this year from Vietnam who, you know, classic story, He goes to school 13 hours a day, um, unbelievable mathematical skills, unbelievable engineering skills. But he said to me at one point, I got more out of one engineering club meeting than I get in a week in school back at home. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, look, I can do problems as well as anybody, but I never knew the application of half the stuff we're being taught. I looked at an engineering club at a school here in Washington, DC, and all you guys are doing are tinkering. We yeah. don't tinker. We just like, it's like rote stuff. But you guys are constantly thinking differently about how to work through a problem and how to tinker and do stuff with it. And that just blew me away. And so, you know, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that while we got to watch this very carefully, there is something here also that's pretty special and, and will be very valuable in some of the most uh, interesting innovations going forward.
2: I know you mentioned earlier what Yahoo did in terms of buying companies over there. I'm always interested in the 500-pound gorilla, Google. Are they taking notice of all this? What might they be doing and what might they be seeing in the, that area?
1: Um, the tech great global tech companies and mobile companies have not only long had presence in the region you know, for sales and other things, um, but a lot of them, and I think Google would be the leader of this, at least in Egypt, have been real leaders in the ecosystem of startups per se. Uh, Vodafone actually has been another one, but Google has been unbelievable in Egypt. I have to tell you, because not only do they do what Google does in terms of access to technology and all the market things they do, but they ha- held a this amazing guy who runs it named Wil Fakrani. Uh, it was his vision to put together a countrywide startup competition to really as much get the word out around the country about what the potential here in doing this is. And so they literally built a bus. This wasn't just in Cairo or just in Alexandria. They drove up and down the country to get well over a thousand separate applicants for a big startup uh, competition that they had called EBDA2. And it was it was just unbelievable. I mean it literally covered the country, rural, uh, smaller, mid-sized cities as well as the big ones. And it was effectively going out and telling folks, look what technology can do and look what problems in your day-to-day life you can solve with it. And the amount of ideas they got even floored them. They just couldn't believe the quality of ideas they were getting uh, from all different corners. And, and it cannot be underestimated in emerging growth market when great organizations like that not only show that they're real, put money behind it, back uh, events around it, and really support these young people. The multiplier effect of that is uh, phenomenal. And, and all of them have been participating in some form. But in Egypt, Google really, I think, uh, did some amazing things in the last year.
2: What do you see in terms of investing that might happen over there? Are, you know, is there a, are there opportunities for us, even individuals, to invest in companies in their ecosystem? Or is this something that is still a little bit away? I don't think
1: it's, it's necessarily that far away. I got an email today from Dave McClure and the 500 Startup Guys. who You know, they do these geek kind on of a plane trip. Where they'll literally take five hundred startups around the world and meet with different people. He's he's taking a he's doing a geeks on the plane to the Middle East in November. I mean, you know, and he's been there overall. Uh, five hundred startups has actually invested in a few Jordanian companies as they have in other places. So there are people who have been slowly sniffing around. I would say a couple of things. I mean, one, obviously, in the time of of this uh, political instability right now, that's something that any investor has right. to watch. Most yeah, great true. Tech investors. Have the ability to pick and choose not only great opportunities within the United States but in other emerging markets as well and finally investing in emerging markets is not for the faint of heart right these are <laughs> all very rich and complicated places and all but I don't think there's any question that that uh, folks within the region are raising funds and people are coming from places like Germany and South Africa and the United States maybe to get a toll hole in Istanbul watching what's going to happen with the challenges there. Um, and uh, think that this is a very interesting opportunity because some of the market dynamics are so powerful.
2: Do you have any additional predictions of what, I mean, I know you said earlier with what's going on over there, it's a little difficult, but if you could predict the trends that will occur, say within the next three years, that maybe we can keep an eye out for, what might those be?
1: Yeah, the mobile, as I touched on before, mobile adoption and, and particularly smartphone adoption, you can bank on. That's just not going away. So again, I, I can't tell you what will happen politically in six months, but I will tell you that half of Egypt will have smartphones in the next three to four years, or at least I'm told by experts who know. And by the way, I've played with sub-$50 smartphones by Nokia and others, and they're wonderful, right? They, they may not have as much memory as an iPhone, and the screens may be smaller, or whatever, but they're unbelievable. They're full-blown computing devices. And I really think whether you're a business CEO with global ambitions or if you're an investor, Thinking about how the world is changing, if you're a policymaker, if you don't spend some time with your team thinking about what does a world of five billion smartphones look like, because Mark Andreessen in the Ford My Book says this, and I completely agree with him from everything I've heard, that there will be five billion smartphones within the next decade. I mean, it's two-thirds of humanity That's crazy. with supercomputers on their person. That's just a huge thing to watch in terms of problem solving and innovation, I think from very, very surprising places. I think the second thing that I will be, I think e-commerce is going to be explosive in the region. I think a lot of entrepreneurs and and logistics companies are dealing with some of the regulatory challenges country to country. And it's a very large, good consumer market. And I think that's going to be very significant to watch. And I do think people are going to become, PayPal just opened up operations there six months ago. They're heroes. I mean, they really are involved in the ecosystem. But before them, there's still lots of, as we talked about before, mobile payments that are very powerful. And and another one is just that, and I just love this. I have to tell you, it just blows me away. So many of these entrepreneurs are just looking at problems as software problems, right? Traffic is terrible in Cairo, so apps are developed to crowd share the best routes to get out of traffic. Traffic becomes a software problem. There's not enough water for people to affordably pump water from a huge freshwater aquifer under the the deserts of Egypt. And so these guys are coming up with amazing, light, cheap, Solar-powered pumping, so more farms can do really, really interesting things. That's become a software problem, and it goes on and on. Recycling, green energy, other stuff. So looking at that, unless we talked about before education, people are looking at their circumstances. Where where guys my age and older say, "Well, it's going to take a generation to fix that." You've got a new generation of people saying, "No way, we're going to go at this now. It'll never be perfect, but we'll go at it now." And I think that's something to watch, not only in the Middle East but in emerging growth markets generally.
0: I think we take smartphones for granted so much here, especially in the States, because you're the second person in the last month of guests that we've talked to that have mentioned the fact that it's essentially a supercomputer in our pocket. And the fact that you're talking about all these potentially billions of people being connected by these supercomputers has me completely pumped to see what can happen, especially from like a world economy standpoint. And solving the larger issues like water problems and food problems and all those types Elf. of things. Yeah. yeah I couldn't agree
1: with you more. But you're right. And I see this. I mean, I see eyes glaze over when I talk to investors and in, in, in Lord knows in Washington policy people. They're like, all right, so they're higherfalutin phones. I'm like, guys, yeah, they're better phones, they're better entertainment devices. So if I were a big media company, I would be thinking about two billion people being able to watch my stuff. Okay, great. They should. But that's just a fraction of these are computers. They're just computing in people's hands. And that means that people collaborate, that means they connect, that means they solve problems. And next thing they know, they're building businesses. And it's it is utterly, I totally couldn't agree with you more, utterly underestimated.
2: So I wanted to end this episode with something I want to try now from here on out. So you're our you're a guinea pig if you're ready for it. Kind of just a quick little lightning round almost, some things that people might just be able to take away. The first thing, considering we interview primarily authors, I wanted to ask you, what is the last great book that you have read?
1: You know, I've read a lot about the Middle East in preparation for this, so there's been a whole slew of them. But I've been reading recently two things. One, I've been reading about World War II, because, because it's just interesting to see the transitions. There's a book that just came out. Of course, I'm going to lose its name, but it's about what the first two years after World War II was like. And I think so many of us think that, you know, the war was over and things just got good. And it's just shocking and a reminder to us all. It's a reminder, as I think, about the Middle East that this stuff is hard and it takes time and transitions are incredibly difficult and painful and bloody and miserable. But there is an arc, I think, to history when people have an opportunity to express themselves. And so that has been you know, incredibly powerful, I think, for me overall.
2: Awesome. And what is the best advice you have for the intellectually curious
1: I'll just tell you what first came to mind is that there is, in my view, nothing I value more in the business women and men, political women and men, colleagues, people who work for me, than just a deep set curiosity. So many people like conventional wisdom. They like to be a lemming, even though they won't admit it. They like to just sort of take stuff to fill their own narratives. But when you meet that woman or man who is just genuinely, genuinely curious and less interested in defending, their own truth as they are to find truth it's unbelievable and so i guess the first thing that came to my mind is if you find someone like that just get behind them with everything that you can and um, if you are someone like that do everything you can to encourage people around you to be the
2: same that's really fantastic advice and something that i know it'll ring a bell with a lot of people listening the last thing i have for you is what app tool or process are you using these days that you think is making your life better
1: So because I'm I'm embarrassed to admit this, you know, when you're an author and and there's so much you have to do to get outreach of your book. And it's a very fine line between, you know, looking like you're spamming versus saying, look, I've got something important to say. I think it's important worth consideration and to reach out that way. And so one of the things that I've done is build real connections in email with people who I admire and who I think care about these issues and balance whether or not I'm sending them relevant stuff or not and how useful they find it. So I've actually put my entire database into MailChimp, and I literally see what all my friends do with emails that I send them. And I get a pretty good instinct in real time if I'm annoying them or not.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and,
1: uh, it's been uh, – it's actually it's – it's a wonderful tool that if it connects into social networks and other stuff, it would be a wonderful dashboard of you know, utility to make your messaging that much more truly useful and relevant and not just spam and a pain in the neck.
2: I actually, I love that because people think about MailChimp as something to do for newsletters and all that good stuff. But even the 20 people or 50 people that you want to reach out to consistently, seeing if they're not telling you, but really it's spam to them. I like
1: that. You know, I mean, you know, there's (laughs) data does not lie. I know exactly when people are clicking on and when they're saying, or they're clicking through to buy the book or whether or not they're just saying, okay, Schroeder's starting to annoy
2: me. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Christopher, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. The book, Startup Rising, The Entrepreneurial Revolution, Remaking the Middle East, really fantastic stuff. It was a topic hadn't occurred to us, but once we saw it, we knew this is something new, different, cutting edge that we wanted to talk to you about. Where else could our listeners go to find out more about your book and when you write on this topic or similar topics?
1: So the best thing that you can do is I've got a website which is www.startuprisingbook.com and not only does it give a little bit of background more about the book and uh Ford and other things I keep posting up there articles I find interesting or other things that are talking about these issues that I've written or other people have written and that's pretty good and there's you know there's two great Middle East there's lots of them but uh there's something called wamda.com w a W-A-M-D-A, m d a and arabnet net i think or dot com and both these guys they're just amazing aggregators of some of the most amazing stories of these young people over there so i do hope people will find that of interest
2: well again thank you so much and best of luck with this book coming out we uh we're happy to put it up on the site and and have a post about it and really appreciate you being on the show i'm honored to be here thanks for thinking of me absolutely have a good one you too all right bye bye Hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you for
0: sticking around for the outro. We appreciate it when you guys listen to the other things that we have to say after the show. One of the things that I want to stress, please head over to iTunes. Give us a review, rating, comment, those type of things. Helps us out. We've been moving up the charts, and
2: I've seen a lot of really cool reviews lately. And I appreciate it. I love it. Yeah, you're a big fan. And we really want to thank you guys for listening and our guests. Christopher Schroeder was an awesome guy. Really interesting things we're trying to maybe get outside of the typical discussions, learning about businesses in the Middle East. It's just a it's just a cool thing. There's a lot of uncertainty in that area,
0: but from talking to Christopher, there's a lot of really neat things going on. There's a lot of advancement of young people, especially women, which is really cool to see, especially in that area. Women have often been repressed in that area for hundreds, if not thousands of years, and seeing these women going out there, getting educations and starting these businesses and coming up with these ideas. It's a really cool thing to see.
2: So thanks for tuning in. Check us out smartpeoplepodcast.com. Catch us next week with another awesome episode.